Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Does Sarah's behavior give you pause? He thinks the man does protest too much. Excuse me, Miss Chambers, but shouldn't it be I thinks? <laughs> Not in your case, Woody. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and joining me for the Season 4 episode, Dark Imaginings, is the host of Pop Culture Affidavit on the Two True Freaks Network. Please welcome Tom Panarese back to the show. What's up, Tom? Hi, how are you? I'm, I'm, glad, uh, I'm glad you invited me back on. It's, uh, we're, we're, hitting, we're starting to hit the period of Cheers that I have the most fondness for because it's, I think what I first caught in reruns. So yeah. I'm really looking forward to this. Very, very cool. Yeah. Um, I, I've been asking this question for a few of the guests around this time here, because this has been a transitional year with the introduction of Woody Boyd played by Woody Harrelson. Your overall, just kind of general thoughts on him as a character, maybe vis-a-vis coach. I am, um, you know, I like them both because I think they brought some, they both brought something different to the same type of character, you know, because both of them had kind of an absent mindedness. Um, Coach was kind of a doddering old man, you know, and uh, Woody's obviously the sort of playing this uh, country bumpkin type of character that, you know, and, uh, and I, I really liked how the show really wrote around the two of them. So they didn't replace one with the other in a way that they tried to kind of same same character different actor or like yeah. or, or like an Erstaz um version of like a coy in Vance of the Duke of Subhazard type, sure. of, type yeah. of situation and um, I remember if I remember this correctly like I I videotaped the uh 200th episode when it aired <laughs> As did and, I. Yeah. <laughs> and I watched that thing Oh man, I can't tell you how many watched that thing. And I remember James, I think it was James Burroughs specifically saying that like coach is the father and Woody's the kid. And when I think of it that way, I think that this, it really, really works. And I think he really grows into the character mm-hmm. um, over the, cause he's on the show for what? Seven, eight, was it? Uh, no, eight years. It was eight years. Eight, yeah. So. All right, very cool, very cool. All right, well then, uh, let's get into this episode, Season 4, Episode 19, Dark Imaginings, written by David Angel, directed by Jim Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, February 20th, 1986. When Sam's young girlfriend appears to have more in common with Woody, Sam's competitive streak comes out. To prove he's not too old for them, Sam challenges Woody to a racquetball game. Despite obvious physical symptoms of duress, Sam denies hurting himself during the match and tells Diane and the others that he's going skiing for the weekend. Days later, Diane overhears two nurses at Cheers describing a patient whose sexual drive can only be referring to Sam. She goes to the hospital and finds out that Sam has a hernia, which she's embarrassed to admit because it sounds like an older man's condition. Still in denial of his natural aging, Sam checks himself out of the hospital and returns to Cheers, but an enthusiastic slap on the butt from Woody sends Sam right back to the hospital. 
Diane encourages Sam to accept aging while still living his life to the fullest as he has been doing. Sam thinks she's coming on to him and tries to get her into the hospital bed. After she rejects him and leaves, another patient joins Sam's room. This man appears to be Sam's age and has roughly the same hobbies and drives. He says a hernia doesn't have to slow him down and then introduces Sam to his girl. Sam flirts with her only to discover that the girl is Jack's daughter, not his girlfriend. This makes Sam feel older still, and he sits by the window, staring out at the rain. Alrighty, so, cards on the table. Uh, a few weeks ago, I turned 40 years old and realized that the good part of my life was over. Just <laughs> wallowed in depression. Ryan. <laughs> wallowed in depression. Um... And Tom, I know you're uh, you're close to the same age, and we've had some similar life experiences growing up. So I thought of you for this one. <laughs> Thank you. No, I'm 44. Yeah. So I'm 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 a little older. I'm not Rob Kelly older, but I'm a little older. Um, I shouldn't dig on Rob like that, but uh, but no, yeah, I I, I actually I, I could relate to this on some level because I have had the I had a hernia when I was in my 20s. Um, I turned surgery 22. Um, but the thing that the old person's thing that got to me was I am on preventative medication for gout. And that ah, sucks. Oh that, yeah, that, that's the, that's the, I feel like I'm a million years old and like, you know, just the, the physical, the, that whole physical limitation aspect of the racquetball game. I'm like, yeah, I can relate to that where you're like, you know, I can, I can do some of the things I was doing in my thirties and twenties, you know, not that I crazily physically exerted myself, but you know, go hiking and long walks and run and, and occasionally run and stuff. But the recovery time mm-hmm. from that, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a lot longer, you know, I'm, I'm sore for longer and I'm just like, Oh, <laughs> so I used to think my most old man symptom was the fact that I had two knee surgeries by the time I was like 35 Ah. that weren't related to contact or athletics or any kind of like sporting Mm. injury or something. Um, But having a child this late in in life and everything (laughs) and realizing that mentally and emotionally, I am perhaps better equipped to deal with it than I was in my twenties. But trying to catch up with a child's like speed and enthusiasm and just when they're ready to go at this point, I'm just, Oh man, I, I wish I had uh, some like the last decade back. Yeah. The best is when like they're little, cause uh, Brett, I had Brett when we were, when I was 30, we were both 30 and the best is like when you're little and they're playing in the room or whatever, and you're playing whatever toys it was. Um, and you're on the floor and then like, it's, it's kind of where he wants to do something else or you got to go do something. And then you have to get up, <laughs> getting up from that. It's a multi-step like, process. Yes, it is. It's, it's like, like I have right. to do this in like shifts. All right. I catch my breath. Okay, here we go. <laughs> oh God. So it's not just me. <laughs> no, no. All right. Well then let us get into this episode uh, as we, as we relate a little bit more to Sam. And that's probably the only way I will ever relate to Sam Malone. The teaser for this episode, um, it's a, it's, a, it's kind of a memorable one just because of the visual gag, but it starts off with a barbershop quartet coming into the bar, and they are fighting amongst themselves, uh, complaining that one of them missed a note uh, when they were singing the song Heart of My Heart, and that's why they lost some kind of competition, and as they're arguing, Norm steps up and says, hey, you know what? 
I it's always like you've lost one of your members, and it's always been my dream to sing in a barbershop quartet. We never realized this about Norm, um, but he steps in, puts one of the hats on, and he, along with the three others, sing the first bar of "Good Night, Ladies," and sound good. And they're like, "Hey, yeah, welcome to the quartet." And he's like, "No, no, no." <laughs> he's like, I, "Thank you for this. That's that's all I wanted." And he goes back to his bar stool. And they're like, "You said this was your dream," and he's like, "Yeah, now I've had it. <laughs> that's." It was what's funny was that um, I liked the bit right before Norm picks up the hat and everything where they all the four of them are singing and they're singing the song and everything sounds great. And they stop. He's like, that's the note. (laughs) That was pretty funny. Um, I like the fact that this is kind of a misdirect because there are episodes of the show where the cold open teaser or whatever actually has something to do with the plot of the show. Um, and this has nothing to do with the plot of the show. So you kind of like half wonder if this is actually going to be like something with Norm and the quartet. And then he's like, no, I'm done. Although I was like the way George went delivers the line. It's like he's walk cause he's walking away from the bar. Uh, toward the back toward his seat from the guys. It's almost like he, I, I don't know if he flew there. If it, he sounded weirdly nervous. I don't know what, um, or maybe I just picked up on that. Or like Norm was just kind of like, all right, I'm, I'm done. It, it didn't land. It, it didn't stick as the landing as much as I thought it would, mm-hmm. but it was still, it was still a nice little chuckle of a, of a cold open. Yeah. Maybe like, it was almost like he felt a little bit self-conscious, a little bit embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, I just realized how silly that would be if I actually yeah. joined this barbershop quartet. He's like, I, I thought that would be really cool, and now I was like, no, this is not yeah. what I want. Yeah, yeah. 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 there, there is a gag when he says, "Hey, I love barbershop quartets. Can I make a request?" And they're like, "Yeah, sure." And he's like, "Could you mind cutting, giving me a little trim around my trim. ears?" Yeah. <laughs> so that's one of those great. That is a great Woody line. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, this group, I think at least most of them are like a, a real quartet because they have appeared in a few other shows. Mm. Uh, the four, the four singers are Peter Neuschel, Douglas Anderson, Larry Wright, and James Klein. At least some of them come back in a later Cheers episode. Um, the oh. episode "A Stork Brings a Crane," which is when uh, Fraser and Lilith's son is born. Mm. I don't remember the context for a barbershop quartet in that episode off the top of my head so i'll have to look for that when that one comes around um but like some of these guys were also in a barbershop quartet or or singers in episodes of night court and other sitcoms around this era that was one of those things that would pop up every once in a while on a show that and stuff like doo-wop and stuff i don't know i don't know if it was just a it was it was almost like a visual gag along with the audio gag because the barbershop quartet looks a certain way or, or what but but yeah, I, I'm not shocked that they ended up on a couple of other shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did a whole Simpsons thing about it. So yes, <laughs> the B Sharps. The B Sharps. You beat Dexy's Midnight Runners. Yeah, well, you haven't heard the last of them. <laughs> One of my favorite jokes. Um, uh, getting into the episode proper, Cliff comes in with a turnip that he thinks looks like June Lockhart. <laughs> Because this is his latest gag, is believing that vegetables look like famous people. And he start, and they're like, what? What are you talking about? And he starts to describe, like, well, if you can picture it with some makeup and pearls and everything. And as he is going on, even Cliff realizes, <laughs> okay, <laughs> this, is starting to, this is starting to sound great. He says there's a thin line between gardening and madness. <laughs> and Frazier basically takes him aside and he's like, hey, maybe you need a little vacation. Maybe you're working too hard. He he's like, oh, I'll talk to you about it, 
and they're walking out and he's got this great line. He's like, you know, I don't really open up that easily. And you hear him as they leave the door talk about he was breastfed later than any normal kid. I mean, baby or something like that. That's like one of the best lies because it's and, and then later on. Fraser basically worked with him and then charged him seventy seven hundred fifty dollars for you know the, he says seven the, hours of intense psychotherapy. Yeah. yeah, he's like, I think yeah. it, I think it actually worked. I think it actually helped you. And Cliff is like, Oh yeah, you think so? We'll tell that to Meryl Streep, and he pulls out a, an ear of corn <laughs> that hasn't even been shucked and tasseled yet. He pulls on that, so yeah, no, you're. I, I love that that exit line. Is like, I was breastfed longer than most kids. I mean, babies. <laughs> like the fact that he had to correct that. It's what's interesting too is because like it, the, the opening gag and the subplot really have nothing to do with the main plot of the show. Um, it's just I think it's and and I think um, when you have an ensemble cast this big, you have sometimes just gag subplots that give those actors something to do because especially by this time, the show is starting has really started to hit its stride. You know, I looked it up on on Wikipedia. It was a, it was the number five show in the country right. in nineteen eighty five eighty six uh, behind Cosby Family Ties Murder She Wrote in sixty minutes. I mean, you know, this is. You know, and and, and the Cosby show, and Family Ties were the lead-ins to this show. Yeah, those, these yeah. those three all all aired right in a row. Yeah, Night Court was on after this. Yep. I mean, this was this was the this was the beginning of of must see TV Thursdays, yep. and, and and that really it rode Cheers. I don't think Cheers stopped being in the top five or top ten for the rest of its run. You know, and so now you have this cast that's like gelled together because you're in the fourth fourth season, right? Yep, and. So you can do this where there's kind of these nonsensical subplots because you just want some gags and it actually works pretty well. And this is also, I think, maybe the first Frasier subplot in the season that doesn't Mm. revolve around Diane or his shattered confidence and love life. This is like Frasier just coming to the bar because he likes the bar and he likes these people. He's getting a beer and he ends up doing his job and trying to treat one of those guys. Has nothing to do. I don't think he has a line or a scene with Sam or Diane in this episode. Yeah, I think that's that. They were starting to kind of move on and starting to get an idea of yeah, he fits here. We can do we can do plots like this with Frasier, and that will cement the idea that he comes back as a regular in the next season. So then Sam comes into the bar with his current girlfriend, Bonnie, who is played by uh, Pamela Bach, who will eventually be Pamela Bach Hasselhoff, wife of David Hasselhoff for a while. Yeah, they divorced about five years ago from what I read on IMDb. <laughs> yeah, well, he comes in and he mentions that they were just – and this is uh, kind of a bit of continuity because they, they did establish earlier in the season, Sam and Woody talked a little bit about music – and mm-hmm. which the show hardly ever did. It really went out of its way to not date itself with cultural references or pop culture things. So Sam's he established, which I kind of thought he would be more classic rock and roll, but his, his music tastes tend to skew even a little bit older. And there mm-hmm. was a joke when Woody was like, oh, old bands, you mean like Devo? <laughs> and, <laughs> um, but here, so he, like, they're listening to John Cougar Mellencamp, which this is 1986, of course you are. Yeah. Um, but he, like, Sam pretend like he didn't even know the name, John Cougar or something, something. Um, and Woody, of course, knows it, Woody being from Indiana, of Indiana, course he knows yeah. it. 
But then they name drop a couple of other bands from the time, the Thompson Twins, Tears for Fears, and U2. Um, and this is where it's like, oh, yeah, Woody and this girl have a lot more in common. And, mm-hmm. and maybe that kind of like perks up Sam's, puts it on his radar a little bit, that he needs to be somewhat defensive. Yeah, and he goes over the top in his kind of competitiveness to show off how he still got it, so to speak, which it ties into the ex-jock that Sam is, too. And that's why I think it, you know, it works really, really well, you know, because mm-hmm. – Sam being an ex ball player is it's you know it's it's a thread through most of the show and it but it doesn't it's not like it's not like an Al Bundy thing where it's like you know such a source of just constant gags um so when you have to have it out kind of for a gag or kind of for a joke here where it's like you know that that old athlete like you know you don't lose that kind of competitive uh jerkiness sometimes right right like get sucked into it works here because they haven't beaten that horse dead yet you know and right. uh and, and so when he when he's like oh i'm gonna go play racquetball and then i'm, I'm gonna go skiing after he comes back and he's <laughs> sliding up the stairs because the guy can barely walk and ted danson hides the limp really well i have to give him credit for the physical acting when he's hurt in this episode because he never goes over the top with it he knows he knows how to be um just subtle enough uh, to make it look act, like Sam's obviously in pain, but he's doing really good at faking it. He's done that before too, like in the episode when he accidentally shot himself in the in the back of in his butt. Like he actually like plays off the the woundedness, which could have been ridiculous, but just his physical acting chops really really sell that. And you're right, the way he kind of like s- sort of hobbles, limps down the stairs, and everything kind of like almost does like a little skip step in order to hide it. And, um, yeah, just like when he's going to the office and Diane's like, your lip is sweating. He's like, well, I just played racquetball. I I must have forgotten to dry my lip. (laughs) Um, but yeah, before, before they go, I love it when, um, Woody's like, you know, yeah, I play racquetball, but I didn't, I didn't think we should play against each other. And Sam's like, oh, why? Because I'm a professional athlete. And Woody has to catch him. No, it's because you're, you know, I mean, you've got a few years and. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect because you're a professional <laughs> athlete. <laughs> and I, I'm glad they didn't do this too much because when you bring Woody in as this fresh-faced you know, kid and everything who's going to be the kid brother to Sam, but who's good-looking, who's single, who, I mean, they could have leaned into kind of him being they they could have kind of turned him into a younger version of Sam and made them compete for the same type mm-hmm. of, you know, womanizing. I'm glad they didn't do that. Like they've got this little like little issue in this episode which is really done with dispensed with in like 30 seconds. And then there's a later episode when they're both kind of competing for Rebecca, which I don't think is is that great. I just, I don't think that's a good lane for them to play, and they rarely did it. So I think the showrunners knew that that wasn't the kind of relationship that Woody and Sam should have. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so once they once they challenge once Sam challenges Woody Ragnall, Woody leaps over the bar as he did in his first appearance, just pushes off and just goes right over. And you can see I can see Sam like. Okay, I can do that, but just like you and me, Tom, it's like, all right, I'm going to have to do this in certain phases. Like, how, how do I do this? So he actually does the, hey, is that somebody famous? <laughs> and he scurries almost bug-like over the, over the edge, to, over the bar, and then comes down. And he's like, no, I, oh, that's nobody famous. Uh, my mistake. 
Yeah, and and a worse sitcom would have had him do a pratfall right then and there, mm-hmm. like had him go over and then like boom, and I'm okay, I'm okay, or something like that. And and again, yeah. they they know not they know not to go go that far with it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, he came back. He he, he says he's going to go skiing, and then it's sometime later, and Diane has been checking all of the uh, actually. Oh, well, before that, when he's leaving. Sam has the skis and he's walking out and he says, he says, Woody, if you need help behind the bar, call Bob. Mm-hmm. No idea who that is. He's never been mentioned before or after. It's kind of a running joke on this podcast that we keep talking about who, like, who works the other shifts of this bar. Like, like Sam has to have more than two employees, right? Yeah. Like, like who, 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 like, who works when, when, Carla is off. Who tends bar when Sam goes away for the weekend and stuff? So apparently, there's somebody named Bob who comes in on his other days. But mm. yeah. yeah, that that's um, one of my all-time favorite shows. Is my so-called life, and the running joke is with a guy named Tino, Tino. who never seems to be around. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Tino. Tino's late again. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yep. I used to. I used to tell like when my when my brother moved out of California. I used to tell people that yeah, my brother plays Tino on my so-called life. <laughs> As it proves me wrong. <laughs> so, uh, so Diane has called all of the the inns and ski lodges in Maine looking for Sam, and Norma's like, "Well, you know, maybe he signed in under an assumed name." And Diane goes, "No, I ch- I checked his aliases: Lance Mannion and Honey Boy Wilson, and no sign." That reminded me of another Simpsons gag where Homer checks into a hotel under the name Lance Uppercut. <laughs> Because <laughs> he, he tries to give them Rock Strongo, and they're like, give us a real name. And he's like, Lance Uppercut. Okay, Mr. Uppercut. <laughs> <laughs> like when he, when he chose the name Max Power. He's like, how do you yeah. think of that? He's like, I, I saw it on a hairdryer. <laughs> <laughs> Be a Lance Mannion. And then, and then she's listening to the nurses. <laughs> nurses describing a, a patient who kept on hitting on it, even like when he was like, he couldn't get out of bed and. And D- Diane's like, oh my gosh, it must be Sam. She like drops her her tray and everything. Yeah. She's like, it's Sam. Is it Sam Malone? And the nurse is like, no, no, it's not him. And she's like, oh, thank God. She's like, this guy's name is Lance Mannion. Which, <laughs> she just runs out of the bar. She screams out of which is so funny that I kind of forget the fact that that nurse is obviously betraying patient confidentiality. Yeah. You don't name a patient in your I know. I know. But it's still funny, so I forget about it. Yeah, um, and and we see when we go back to the hospital that Sam is hitting on his current nurse, trying to get her in bed with him. Diane comes in; she tells him to you know embrace his age, and then a doctor comes in to talk to Sam. And hey, this doctor recognizes Diane from when she used to tutor him when he was in school, and this throws her for a loop because now she she actually says, "I'm old and alone in Boston," <laughs> like she's like that's her epitaph or something. I love that line. Um, <laughs> I love the thing I love about these two is the way that, especially with Shelley Long, the way that she always stuck to the Diane character and didn't like let Diane have her own energy and deliver with her energy as opposed to a lot of times, especially as you get through the 90s. The they would write the the male female relationships with both characters almost have like a whip smartness to their dialogue and they they ratchet up the energy and sometimes they're just like outright yelling and 
they never wrote her like that and she never performed Diane like that where it was just, you know, she was, she always had that really pretentious air about her (laughs) and would deliver sometimes that, that almost long, slow delivery sometimes. And it works so well because, um, you know, because it was almost like everybody in a sitcom, every female character in a sitcom started getting written by like as if they were all Jennifer Aniston. And it was like, and it started to get really stale. Um, and, and so nobody really took their cues from Shelley Long's delivery, but it's really hard to, to imitate Shelley Long in just yeah. about anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sam releases himself from the hospital. He goes back to the bar to prove that he can still do his job. He can still lift up a case of beer. Woody slaps him on the back of the butt, and he's just like you. You hear like something pop almost because yes. of the sound effect. Like he popped it, like he stepped on a bubble wrap or something yeah. like that. And he's like, "Do you want to go back to the hospital?" He's like, "Very much, very badly." <laughs> yes, and, and but like again, it's just it's 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 not overplayed he just kind of like straightens up stiff enough and you know something's wrong and then she realizes something's wrong and it's just like yep we're back at the hospital (laughs) and that's what makes it funny it's not over the top Mm -hmm. and woody comes to visit him crying this might be the first time we've seen woody cry in the show because he has this really (laughs) the last (laughs) this really high high whiny type of cry and he's like i'm so sorry he says he's here to give donate an organ and sam's like woody i just i have a hernia he's like well if you need another one take mine (laughs) and sam's like i appreciate you coming here but you're depressing the hell out of me get out so then carla talks to him for a little bit and then diane comes back yet again and says you know, he doesn't have to worry about getting older. He looks more refined. He looks more dignified. Hell, he looks better now than he did when they were dating. And that is all the cue Sam needs to lock the door, turn off the lights, and try and lower the bed to get Diane to sleep with him again, which she says, you're not going to get it. So. Yeah, that – that. Um, so I was watching this and I was like, wow, this could launch a million Twitter threads. Um, <laughs> but – just knowing like I'm like wait for it wait for it and then she says to somebody who thinks he's gonna get sex and not gonna get it or however she delivers that she yeah. she delivers that lie you're not gonna get it and it's brilliant it's mm-hmm. like <laughs> that's what makes this this pairing so good and um and like I think I've said this I might have said this the last time I was on the show um Sam Malone could be a total creepy, skeevy character if it wasn't for the fact that Ted Danson is so charismatic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, but like you know the way the way that Diane just is like, nope, this isn't going to happen, and then <laughs> yeah. just peace out. And a weird, weird continuity cut that like we never see her move the desk away from the door. It's just she goes to turn <laughs> on the lights. Gone. We back then she she goes to open the door and everything's back the way it was. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was surprised actually that she didn't comment on that. She's like, "You, you actually barricaded the door to me." <laughs> and then we get this other guy, Jack, coming in. Who's like, "Hey, he recognizes Sam's baseball." He talks about, you know, his, he's got bone spurs, so they're kind of the same vintage, the same lifestyle. And he, you know, Jack even mentions like, you know, they say that men reach their sexual peak when they were eighteen. Yeah, I was probably an eighteen-year-old who said that. <laughs> And they're laughing it off. And then, hey, his girl comes in and she's very uh, attractive. And Sam, this is like kind of like the creepo factor. It's like th- Sam openly hits on her. Yeah. But like, I mean, mistaking it for his girlfriend. But even if it wasn't his daughter, like, don't like don't hit hit on her in front of her boyfriend or something. If that's what you thought it was. Yeah, it's a little it's a little creepy. Yeah. 
Uh, and that's when they're like, yeah, this is my daughter. And Sam's like, oh, crap. And then she's like, goodbye, sir. And that's just, that <laughs> sir really lands on him. Yeah, you accept the creepiness of the first part of the scene because it's setting up that. The, right, because the, the he gets daughter his and then the joke. Yeah, he, he gets what's coming to him. So. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, you forgive that because, it, yeah, he gets punched in the mouth basically yeah, by, exactly. by this revelation. And all he can do is basically just go over to the the window and stare out of the rain, mm-hmm. think about getting older and, you know, feel his depression. So, Yeah, it's an oddly down ending for an episode of a sitcom that isn't a very special episode and um and because a lot of times cheers episodes end on like a like a break joke basically you know like we go to punchline and black with the charles burroughs charles and and you know whatever the clarinet the music is and this this ends very quietly and contemplatively it's it's one of the it's one of the ones that um that do that isn't a like big monumental like when Diane leaves, for instance, right, you get a right. very quiet, you know, but those are, those are like for, for lack of a better word, special episodes of the show, season finales, et cetera. Um, this is, yeah, this is just a regular mid season episode, like, uh, probably like toward the end of February sweeps or so, but still mm-hmm. it's, it was interesting how contemplative this was. Yeah. And it is sort of, um, I don't know. It, it's kind of maybe a little bit foreshadowing or just kind of reminding that like, Sam, at the end of the day, is a little bit tragic in that so much of his life and his sense of self and self-worth is wrapped up in these physical characteristics and physical traits and the the accomplishments that he's due that will run out. Mm -hmm. Like when Diane is reading the list of people who accomplished great things later in their life, you know. Sam's not going to invent something. He's not an academician or, you know, literally, I mean, his... You know, his his baseball career is over and, mm-hmm. you know, before long he'll be too old to be the womanizer that he has kind of, like, defaulted to. Uh, and we will see, I mean, there will be pretty much at least once a season there will be some kind of reminder of that, of him kind of getting old to the point where it's like, okay, this is a little pathetic what you're doing. Like, how far can you, can you string this along? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. But... Um, yeah, yeah, and it's just it—it it kind of, I like thinking maybe like the scene of like where, where he's realizing, at this point, should I have a family? Even should I have a daughter, mm-hmm. call my own, or a son, or something like that? Is that what where I should be at this age of my life? Yeah, they actually will pick that up slightly in a storyline with Rebecca. Becca right. way late into the series where they're like trying to have a baby together or right, something. Right. Um, I, I vaguely remember it. So yeah, that's, in, these... that's in season ten. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, which I think they, I think they only wrote because Kirstie Alley got pregnant. Pregnant. So I think they kind of came up with that plan. Yeah. So um, yeah. So but it it yeah you're right. It it's this um, and you know I read a really really fascinating book recently is called the wax pack and the uh the this, this conceit behind it is this writer bought a pack of 1986 tops baseball cards and then tracked down all the players within <laughs> the car within the pack you know both um you know uh some famous and some not famous at all and it's interesting to see what happens to these old ball players who are not the like the most famous one in the pack i think was either um 
it was either Rick Sutcliffe and Carlton Fisk okay. uh, are two. The Carlton Fisk is probably the biggest name yeah. in the uh, in the th- in the thing. Well, uh, so, I, yeah, but, well, yeah but, I definitely remember Rick Sutcliffe too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but then, but then you have like you know, I don't even know, like so no name guy, like like you know, like a, a, the 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 this pack warm the peg warmer version yeah, of, a, yeah, yeah. Of, a, of a card and um you know these guys who some of them they become like coaches and in, in little league teams and stuff like that or they they have like second careers but it's this whole idea of like on some level they all still kind of hold on to it and i like totally could see that as like a there there's very a lot of those guys in sam malone mm-hmm. and he's also of that age i don't know how old ted danson was when he was on the show at this point but i would imagine that sam sam washed out of the league anyway because he was because of his drinking right but he's got to be in his 30s to early 40s at this point or, or late into his 30s or whatever and you know that's just the age like you said you still want to do all the things you still think you have that young vigor to you but things are starting to catch up with you so it's like yeah you're you're the middle age is starting to hit hit that hit you in the face at this point yeah. and it, it's a it's a really uh really good exploration of it really good contemplation of it yeah yeah um for norm's tab uh because there was a lot of like scene changing and, and changing of times uh so every time we saw him he had a new beer so i gave him five beers for this episode <laughs> Uh, which brings him up to 354 for the series. God. Yeah. Uh, for the employee of the week, I thought this was a pretty obvious Sam episode. And mm-hmm. I, I just thought he did a great job between the physical comedy and like the subtle physical comedy bits, like in terms of just like the limping, the fake limping and, or going over the bar, um, to just his kind of his, his bravado, his trying to be macho to the, uh, the, I don't know the the depression at the very end that poignancy of that and I thought it was a pretty clear Ted Danson Sam episode. Yeah, yeah, runner up to to Diane, especially yeah. when she tells Carla that there are other parts <laughs> of the hospital than the maternity ward. All Carla could do is walk out of the room, basically say like "bite me" or yeah. something. Like she has <laughs> no retort because Car she she has Carla. <laughs> that was a good. That was a good one. I liked that. Yeah, yeah but. She, did she plays she plays off Sam and and the genuine concern she shows for him? Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, this is their sort of detente. I believe this is the word you used, uh, and that that shows very very clearly the the there they don't she doesn't hate him, um, and she's doing her best to be a friend. And so yeah, so she and she she is the perfect supporting character in this particular story because she does exactly what a sporting character does in that it raises him up even more in his performance right right my favorite bit about this was the two-part lance Mannion joke (laughs) (laughs) i have a runner-up later but like the the fact that diane mentions it earlier she's like no like maybe he's maybe he's checked in under an assumed name she's like no i checked all the ins for a lance Mannion too and then later on when they play back when she's talking to the nurse and she's like this guy's name is lance Mannion," and, and diane like runs out the door i thought that was a brilliant setup and release though mine would be the 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 you're not going to get the sex bit yeah because like gonna... because he's just like you see and she sees what he's doing and she just she just kind of 
lets him she she leads him on and she lets yeah. him in and she just draws him right in and it just and, and just hits him right at the right moment yeah. it's it's beautifully timed and, and beautifully delivered yeah um my my runner-up is um when when sam first goes in the office and he's telling them he's fine and diana's like i don't know and she she quotes shakespeare she goes well paraphrases she's got me thinks the man doth protest too much and woody goes excuse me miss chambers but shouldn't it be i thinks <laughs> and they all just kind of stare at him and carla's like not in this case woody <laughs> Uh, I don't know what my runner-up is. It probably would have been the the Lance Mannion <laughs> bit. I do, for some reason, I do love the way that they talk about, yeah, yeah, Cliff is doing great. And the moment <laughs> later he walks in, yeah, Sigmund Fraud. <laughs> Just such a stupid joke. But the way Ratzenberger delivers it with the Cliff Clavin voice, it, yeah. it, it works so well. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. Good. Yeah, yeah. Um, an interesting, an interesting little episode building on mythology and kind of like setting up the type of, the type of maybe the arc that Sam is predestined to kind of go down um, with this kind of like downer, somber ending, um, but still full of like a lot of like fun moments and and great interplay between Sam and Diane, which you always need. Um, and a nice little, uh, nice little B plot for for Fraser that has that gets him out of the shadow of being dumped by Diane for once, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, you know, and we're we're so used to smaller seasons of shows nowadays. I know there are sitcoms out there that still do the the big twenty something episode order for a season. Those are hard. I mean, I you, you now, especially when you're watching a. Well, we just finished, we just finished what if last week right and yeah. and, and and then um you know uh you get maybe six or ten episodes of my one of my favorites that comes right now every season is uh what we do in the shadows and mm-hmm. there's not very many episodes of the season this would have been what this is episode 19 yeah and this and se- this season February. got even longer because this season is 26 episodes and yeah it's going to be 26 25 episodes for a couple of years now yeah, so this is this gets when the writing is this crisp. That's that's given talent. I mean, like you know, the fact that you can maintain because you have to throw in just a couple of one and done, or you know, you know, especially sitcoms of the '80s really didn't have story arcs in the grand scheme of things the way that like dramas do. But yeah, this it, it's pretty impressive that they were just main, able to maintain this energy, especially with such a huge cast. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, Tom, thank you very much for being my guest on this episode of Cheerscast. Where else can people find you if they want to hear more from you? You can find me over on the Two True Freaks Network. I have two podcasts over there. I have Pop Culture Affidavit. That's everything random in the world of popular culture. I take a look at movies, TV, comics, music. Um, I also have Required Reading with Tom and Stella. Stella and I take a look at one book every month, and we discuss it and review it. And uh, you can also find me over at popcultureaffidavit.com. Very, very cool. Very cool. All right. Thanks to all of you out there who listen to Cheerscast and support the show by liking and sharing on Facebook, favoriting and retweeting on Twitter, and leaving a comment on the website fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to Ashford Wright from the Right On Podcast Network and Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents and Monday Movie Muckabout, who sponsor this show. 
For more information on how you can support your favorite show on the Fire and Water Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and until next time, we're closed. <laughs> what are you doing? I just thought I'd make the room look a little more romantic. Do you keep reading? You go right ahead. <laughs> oh, Sam, this is wonderful. An old person wouldn't be doing this. This is the act of a vital, strong young man who wants a woman, who wants sex, who won't get it. (laughs) 